Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African-American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director at Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to the Black Bar On Air. I'm your host, Kenny Braswell, and you are in the midst of our eight-week series on dialogue about daughters. It is part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign, which takes place on May 8th. For more information on that, you can go to our website at www.saveourdaughtersnight.com. It is off the heels of our successful campaign to raise awareness around the relationship between fathers and our sons, which took place on February 8th. In that campaign, we were able to mobilize 111 organizations in over 61 cities across the country that plan events and activities encouraging the the loving and healthy relationship between fathers and their sons. And it is with that um, said that on May 8th, we are looking to encourage even more organizations around the country to plan activities for the interaction with fathers and their daughters. And so we are in the midst of a series of conversations, and I have had some of the greatest minds in the country speak about elements of our daughters, and this show is no exception. My good friend, Michelle, um, she is the indie mom of comedy. She is a comedian, award-winning playwright, and an author. She is traveling the country. You have seen her on HBO, Showtime, BET, and I might be throwing some things in there that she hasn't been on, but I'm prophetically speaking right now. <laughs> and so, um, but you will hear more and more from her. And I wanted to bring her on today to really speak about um, her work, particularly with girls, and her work um, in the comedy industry, as well as having a conversation around when love hurts making your pain your footstool and how we use humor um, as in one of the comedic greats we're so good at doing, Mr. Richard Pryor, really taking our pain and allowing us to be able to find humor and healing at the same time. How you doing, Michelle? Good afternoon or good evening, whenever your folks are listening to this goodness, goodness, goodness. I'm doing well. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you so much for being on the show. Tell me, tell us a little bit about your background and also fill us in on what you're up to these days. Well, the, the background is an interesting background. I'm a native Baltimorean. I, I often hashtag myself as Charm City Girl, which is our nickname for this fair city, Charm City. But I'm a native Baltimorean um, but I travel and and work in New York, L.A., Chicago, and all points in between, but mainly the major cities, um, performing my stand-up comedy and currently my off-Broadway award-winning one-woman show in which I wrote and performed, and it's directed by Richard Pryor's daughter, Rain Pryor. You mentioned, you mentioned Mr. Pryor. It's directed by Rain Pryor. It's called Diary of a MILF, and MILF is a derogatory term which I flipped. Mom, I'd love to follow. And it takes you through a day in my life. I play five characters, and it's an amazing um, piece about the hats that I wear as a mom and a wife of 
uh, over 15 years and three children and uh, stand-up comic. The, the juggles that I have to, 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 to really fluidly uh, perform in, a, in one day just to get to the stage. But, but when I'm not on stage um, for the last 20-plus years, I have worked before there were names for what I do. I've been an advocate and a mentor um, and didn't know that those things were in existence. I simply did what I called group, groups with girls and, and taught girls this or started Big Sisters and Big Brothers, Big Sisters programs at group homes. And before I knew it, I'd become really astute in program development and implementation, particularly working with girls and women and more, more than ever, girls of color. And um, that impetus, that 20-plus years of just doing that work, developing programs, implementing programs, consulting with organizations who had programs, trying to find better strategies for them to impact those girls, I, um, I penned a book called 101 Things Every Girl and Young Woman of Color Should Know, which was inspired by my husband's book, Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields, 101 Things Every Boy Young Man of Color Should Know. And so I wrote that book as an anecdotal way for girls and young women to have strategies to navigate their lives in the areas of um, uh, education, health, relationship, religion, um, and, and common sense issues. And so I've created unknowingly um, over 20-plus years, 25 years of implementation, programming, and now um, – literature and content. We have a workbook with the, with the um, girls' book as well that's being used in before and after school programs and um, being used from New England down to the far reaches there, far reaching to the south of um, the United States. And so really excited to have that book and that curriculum being used. And along the way, I had the, um, the awesome opportunity to become an Open Society um, Institute Fellow. Um, Open Society, of course, Foundations is founded by George Soros, based in New York, and its satellite office is in Baltimore, um, where I still have roots. And so I created a program there to work with underserved girls in the urban communities called Goal Diggers. And let's make sure you hear that correctly, G-O-A-L, Goal Diggers, mm-hmm. the Sankofa Project. And with that program, we are still in existence. We take um, girls and we introduce them to the study of their ancestry, heritage, and lineage. But we do it in a way such that we sneak in on them um, real-life, real-time experience in human, social, and forensic sciences, um, anthropology, technology, DNA testing, all to help them uncover their ethnic identity, bolster their self-concept, and usher them into the doors of colleges and universities all over the country. Um, and so that program has been happening for over four years, and i um, really proud to say that the girls we've worked with in the last four years, every girl that's been in the program, that has matriculated in the program, has successfully completed high school, which is a feat in our particular community working with this, and they've also been accepted to college. And so it's a very, very exciting. Our last our leg with them is taking them culturally on an emergent trip to Ghana, West Africa, which we look to do within the 2015-year calendar to complete our inaugural cohort. So to say that I'm a little bit busy would be a little bit of an understatement, Um, but I certainly am grateful to be able to serve. And I tell people now, you know, you you said it earlier that, well, they may not have seen me um, on some of the other outlets. Yeah, I've done BET and Stars, Nickelodeon. Um, The season is turning, and you'll see a lot more of me, but what I want you to remember about Michelle and I don't talk about myself in third person often, but what I want you to remember about Michelle, the indie mom of comedy, fame is not what I'm seeking. I'm seeking to be unforgettable. 
so that the celebrity that God will render or that will be rendered to me will be for me to serve. And so that's my dominant intention, to be unforgettable and to use whatever opportunities I have to serve our girls and, and women. So that's my thing, Kenny. I'm the indie mom of comedy, independent, innovative, with some individuality, love and marriage and motherhood, while not losing myself in all of it. So that is my thing. I know that was a bit much, but you asked, so I told you. And I gave you the space to put it all out there, and I think that it is very encouraging to people to know um, that there are women such as yourself out there that are just in the grind, you know, just that we are, just as we are um, as we continue to tackle these subjects in our community around family, around faith, around fatherhood, around motherhood, around parenting, around marriage, relationships, you name it. We have a lot of work to do with our people. But as someone who works with girls, um, do you think that we're doing enough for black girls relative to what you see being done with our black boys? You know, I don't know that there's a way to really... I don't know if there's a way to actually add a metric to that. I know that there are social scientists who spend hours, days, and months, you know, evaluating exactly what you just said. But I think it's more about impact. Um, I think that I know having been in a woman's body growing up as a girl, and this is what I tell people, some of the best research, some of the best data you'll ever get is qualitative in nature, meaning that a conversation with a group of women who were once black girls, um, to have a conversation with them, you can get more data um, in that one conversation than you could ever get in a um, more of a scientific setting, more of a um, at, you know absolute setting. So to answer your question, I don't know that you can measure, but I do know that you can definitely uh, qualitatively look at results of um, experiences with girls. Girls are tempered to have an experience more than they are to have um, an exchange. And when I say that, I mean that girls have a proclivity to be drawn to situations, people, opportunities, programs that leave an emotional imprint on their lives. And so if you can sort of speak their language, if you can share something that's akin to their everyday, that program, that project, that person leaves an emotional brand on a girl that then impacts their outcomes, their behaviors, their choices. And so... I'm more inclined to create an experience for girls. And those opportunities and programs and people um, and institutions that create an experience for our girls tend to have, in my mind's eye, a greater outcome in terms of the metric. I don't know if that answers your question, but mm-hmm. that's the sphere that I sit in more than I do about looking, juxtaposing boys to girls. I look at what I know for sure from working with girls on a on a weekly basis. Yeah, no, it's a great explanation because oftentimes we get caught up into um, you're not talking about me, I'm not talking about you. <clears throat> and this whole notion, particularly for me, um, that my lane tends to be fatherhood, that somehow I don't care about motherhood or I'm speaking from my own personal experience with respect to being both a black man and once in my life a black boy that somehow I don't care about black women or I don't care about black girls. Um, Nothing could be further from the truth, given that I am both a husband and a father. And so oftentimes I just have to approach that that conversation um, because people do uh, and will ask, 
um, why are you not talking about girls as much as you are talking about boys? I think that it is more that people just hear what they want to hear, um, even when you are balanced in your conversation. Um, question for you. Um, you know, as we work with um, and begin to um, expand our work with girls, from your vantage point, what do you see as the biggest challenges our girls are facing today? I, I, you know, I have the pleasure of, and I'm so grateful that you asked that question, I have the pleasure of, of having a wonderful relationship with Tom and Madeline Burrell. And the reason why I'm bringing them up is because Tom Burrell wrote a book a few years ago um, called Brainwashed. Mm. And Tom, of course, is known throughout the country and, and throughout the world as the guru for marketing to African Americans. Um, he, of course, is the founder of Burrell Communications, which is based in Chicago, Illinois. And he made an amazing life and living for himself, impacting how, how to sell to African Americans, working with McDonald's and every other major corporation you can think of. Why is that? Uh, why am I using that as an example? Because he also has become inadvertently the resident intellectual, if you will, on the impact of media and marketing mm -hmm. on our people. Having been successful in creating those spaces, now he has looked, taken a look having um, retired and sold the company, still being an integral part of it, but now he's taking a very deconstructive look at the impact of what the imaging and the marketing has done to our people. And so when you say what's the biggest you know, challenge we have, I believe that it comes from media, I think media is a huge challenge. While there are tons of um, what I would call home challenges mm -hmm. or, you know, first-line challenges, because essentially the first influences of every girl comes from the woman in her life. I write about that in my book. And, of course, it comes from who she shares space with every day, those who she lives with, those who she, who's, whose ear um, – you know, they have her ear, so to speak, daily. So, of course, I would say essentially it comes from home. But then when you step a little bit outside of that and you look at the images, the media, um, the industry that I'm in, you know, the entertainment industry, um, there is a resounding um, presence, a resounding um, force coming from what girls are seeing and what they deem as, one, being beautiful, two, as being successful, three, as being noteworthy, worthy to be paid attention to or to be so-called reckoned or, or respected. And so it's very skewed, Kenny, mm -hmm. in that these images are sometimes very obtuse to what they may be learning in their homes and what they may be learning in their places of worship. And, and so they're challenged with reconciling what's really important with what is being um, what is being propagandized as important. In other words, they'll see maybe a video girl or, you know, a reality show, and it seems like these women or these girls have it all together because they have stuff. Mm -hmm. They have the right purse, the right bag, the right shoe, and yet they, you know, can't seem to navigate the reality that that is, something that is contrived in most instances for entertainment purposes. Mm -hmm. And so they can't reconcile the differences. So a lot of girls are really strongly influenced 
by these images, by these lifestyles that they believe these people that they're watching actually have. And so they aspire to create a microcosmic world like the ones they see on television. So they do some very, you know, honestly, some very um, unfortunate things Mm -hmm. to themselves, um, to the people around them, to try to have that lifestyle. So I'll tell you, I think that, yes, first, the first uh, rung, if you will, is home. Mm. Healthy mothers, healthy women in your lives, healthy influence. What is healthy? Healthy is when the behaviors that are being taught to you translate into having good choices and good opportunities. And I know we've been hearing that for years. So that's the first line of defense. The first line of challenge is a healthy home, a healthy mother, a healthy father. The second line, which sometimes trumps home, is what I'm speaking about, media. So I think we could talk about that forever, but I think those are two of the major challenges for our girls these days. Yeah, you're listening to The Black Bar. I'm your host, Kenny Braswell, and we are in the midst of our dialogue about daughter series. The series is a part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign that takes place on May 8th. Um, you can learn more about that campaign at SaveOurDaughtersNight.com. My guest today, Michelle, she is the indie mom of comedy. And we're talking about girls, and we're going to kind of shift our conversation a little bit to really begin to talk about the emotions of our girls. Because as a father, um, I think one of the most challenging things for me is to be a good steward of my girls' emotions. And that's not always an easy thing, particularly when you're not always understanding of what their emotions are, particularly when they are hurting. I think love is important for both boys and girls, but why is it so much important for girls? So much more important. I I saw something that you shared in one of your um, in one of your posts and I'll agree with it 200%. Fathers become the template for how girls perceive, interact, and coexist with boys and men. And to that point, if there is not a father or a father figure, and see, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very flexible when I talk about fathers because I know that fathers show up in different ways. I've, I've been a recipient of that, so I have a personal reflection about that. But the father figure in a girl's life sets the bar. And so, for instance, if there is none, then we're already at, we're already at a deficit. I know there'll be people who will say, I raised my daughter on my own and she's just fine. Listen, my mom raised me and my sister. Um, I get it. My my parents, you know, my mom was a teen mother. Um, my, my mom then married my stepdad, and they ended up divorced, and my mom essentially raised us on our own. But what I will tell you is that I had a father figure in my grandfather. But let me go back to your point. The point being... If there is no father, then there is a deficit, and I'll defend that until I cross over. The deficit is is that there's no one there to actually walk through what it's like to be loved by a man, a health love. And so if there is a father, and I'll tell you this, there are fathers in homes who still have not really been modeled how to love on a daughter, in a 21st century way. Mm-hmm. There's an antiquated notion that if I just provide for you, then I love you and you should know that. Well, nowadays we know that that model doesn't really work because girls need to have a, um, a very um, intimate 
relationship with their fathers, intimate and in, in they need to have conversations. They need to have um, modeling. And so a father is needed to model and to teach them even how to have a conversation with a boy, what the expectation should be, how they ought to be treated. Um, and so those things are very critical in a girl's life. So if you have a father in the home that's not doing that, that's just in my way, in my mind's eye, that's even more horrific than not having a father because mm -hmm. you actually see this person, he's in the house, but there is no relationship. Mm -hmm. And then the third tier is that father who's in the home who's doing what it takes to learn the love language of a father and daughter relationship. And that's something that we're seeing more of every day. I'm seeing more dads taking their daughters to father-daughter dances. I'm seeing more dads going with their daughters to places that men wouldn't go, to pottery places, to paint pottery with their daughters, just mm -hmm. taking intentional steps to actually be available emotionally to their daughters, mm -hmm. seeing daughters and fathers at soccer games together. So what, what's my point? My point is, is that when a father is intentional, about the time spent with his daughter, even if he's a busy dad, like yourself, Kenny, like my husband, mm -hmm. when the time is spent intentionally, it is impactful, it leaves an emotional imprint on a girl, and she never forgets it. And so when she starts to interface with the boys, the expectation is different because the father has such a template. And more importantly, a father is your first love, your first male love, mm -hmm. in a very innocent, beautiful way. Mm -hmm. And so he loves on you, in the, in the best situation, and so you don't crave the love that you never had. It's not that you don't want to experience heterosexual or things, whatever. You don't want to experience love. It's just that your father has provided you with such a healthy template that you're not as thirsty for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are three pillars of how the father-daughter relationship impacts and affects girls. Yeah, we are doing a, on May 8th, for one of our kind of hallmark events, doing a daddy-daughter dance. First time I'm doing, first time I've actually planned one myself. I've always supported <clears throat> and helped others with theirs, but this is the first time I'm actually putting my own together. And we're going to do a commitment ceremony. We're actually purchasing some commitment rings so that the dads can make a commitment to their daughters and I've been writing this pledge, and so there are a whole bunch of pledges out there, and, and my thought was I wasn't going to take on somebody else's pledge. I wanted God to give me my own pledge, and so I've been kind of listening to him and, and jotting down notes and writing exactly what he's telling me to put in this pledge. But one of the things I put in the pledge was this gesture of um, getting down on their knees um, to commit their undying love um, to their daughters, but immediately after doing that, having them stand up on their two feet, because I think um, that oftentimes we think that kneeling down on our knees is the end of the job, when the job continues when you stand up on your own two feet. And the pledge somewhat goes, you know, I commit to you on my standing two feet to carry you on my shoulders hold you in my arms, and never turn my back. Uh. And I say that to say that I understand what that means, not only to us as men and boys, but what it means to a girl when her first love turns his back. How do you get over the pain inflicted by someone that you love? What is that process? 
That is such a rich question, Kenny. And I promise you it's not an easy, open-ended answer. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this. It takes an immense amount of support. And that support comes in a manifold way. For those of us people of faith, people who trust a God bigger than them, it's a mandate for us to forgive. Mm. It's not an option. Mm. And yet, because God and God's infinite wisdom understands that the forgiveness is not for the one you're forgiving, the forgiveness is for you. That becomes the balm. That becomes the first step to your healing process. And it is indeed a process because that kind of pain, there is no um, allopathic remedy. There's no modern medicine that can heal it. And so it has to come from a space much deeper mm -hmm. than that. And so the first process for us, the first way to get through that or start that process is forgiveness. And once that forgiveness is really released, the balm starts to take an effect. I will be honest. It is. It can be one of the most difficult things that anybody can ever experience being hurt. And yet it never has been designed. And if we take this posture and if we start to sing this song together, I think that we'll get much more out of even the hurt. It was never designed to destroy you. Mm. It was never designed to suck the life out of you. It was never designed to actually debilitate you. The hurt in and of itself was designed to make you better to give you permission to speak to things that you couldn't speak to before. And so when you're sitting around and you hear girls and women and, and people talk about, well, yeah, I know what it's like because, that means something. And so the steps would be forgiveness and then the support. I would suggest highly that girls and women, because women are nothing but girls in low-cut clothes. That's what Patti LaBelle said, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I would suggest thoroughly that women and girls start to pick their friends like they pick their fruit. But Erica Badu said, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know when we pick our fruit, we don't just pick up a piece of fruit. We're we looking over it. We're squeezing it. We're smelling it. Mm -hmm. It's a metaphor. Mm -hmm. That means you want to test it and try it and see if it's worthy to be consumed. Because once you put it in you, it affects how you live. So good fruit, you have good health. Bad fruit, you have bad health. Good friendships, you have great life experiences. Bad friendships can stress you out, tear you down, and even take you out of here. Right. And so the process is that we do the work through forgiveness, through our relationship with our God. We do the work through being very selective in who we share our hurt and our pain with. In other words, good friendships, good sound friendships. And then the other piece is to pour back into yourself. And that should be right there in the front, right there with forgiveness. It should be immediately start to pour back into yourself. What does that mean? Remember or reconnect with the things that gave you joy before that thing that hurt you was taken away. Mm. Yeah. And so you start to reconnect with yourself. So you start to love on yourself. And that becomes healing. 
So the loving on yourself, the, the connecting with good friends for good support. And then, as quiet as it's kept, folks of color, it's time for you to get over keeping your business to yourself. <laughs> it's time for you to seek out others who have been trained, i.e. professionals, right. to give you a safe space to unpack the pain. A safe space to unpack the baggage. Bag lady, you got to unpack that stuff. You can't hurry up because you got too much stuff. Ain't that what Erica Badu said? Mm -hmm. And so if you're carrying around all that baggage, if you carry all that pain, even if you've done some of the other steps, you'll still feel heavy. I implore us as people to start to sit in those offices and in those spaces and sit with someone who's been trained, who has no backstory about you, no opinion, no judgment, but is designed and desirous of helping you develop strategies to get to the other side of your pain. And I think with those four tiers, mm -hmm. I think that that is inevitable. It's inevitable that you will heal and that you will forgive and that you will move on from the pain of a broken heart or a broken relationship. Wow. You know, Michelle, me and you can, I could do a three-hour interview with you, and we might be able to actually solve the problems of the world in those three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just... But, Kenny, I got to insert this one thing, and you may be going there. But you got to learn to laugh to keep yeah. you quiet, too. Is that where you're going? Absolutely. Okay, go there. I'll stop. And so I actually was going another place, but I'll stop and, and, and I'll make a pause and come to this humor thing because you have to find humor in your pain. I think that was the best and greatest lesson I ever learned from Mr. Richard Pryor. I uh -huh. heard him say one time that if I did not find things to laugh at, I'd spend my whole life crying. Uh -huh. And that is just a tragedy when life has you in a position where you just believe that there is no other response that you can give it than your tears of pain. And uh -huh. so how do you use humor in the midst of your pain to get over it? Because oftentimes it becomes funny when it's all over with. But uh -huh. we can't find no humor when we're up in the midst of it. How do you mm -hmm. find humor in the midst of your pain? I'll tell you, it finds you if you open yourself up to it. Like, I promise you, you know, as a stand-up comic, some of the worst moments in my life or some of the most challenging, I'll take not worse, some of the most challenging moments in my life, some of the most heart-wrenching moments in my life have become the funniest things I've ever said on stage and the funniest bits that I never had to write. <laughs> and so for me... It was learning not to take myself and my situation so serious. My sister once said when I was going through something, she said, you think you're the only one that's ever, you sound like you're the only one that's ever been hurt. You, you, you're acting like your hurt is much deeper than anybody else's hurt. And then when she said it, I couldn't receive it. I was like, well, she's not trying to hear me. She don't know how my heart is aching, my heart is breaking. I'm, I feel like I can't breathe. I'm under the app. And I'm like, what kind of horrific sister are you to tell me that, that my hurt ain't no different from my hurt? I'm over here dying. And and then when I started taking a look at it, and then as my uncle would say, who's a philosopher in and of himself, because, you know, he spent a lot of time away, so right. he had plenty of time to really study, right? Y'all figure that out on your own. Plenty of time to study. My uncle would say in his infinite wisdom, 
life shows up. And either you deal with it or it's going to deal with you. Aristotle, you know, you know, Aristotle couldn't touch that, neither could Plato. Yeah, That's yeah, some yeah. good stuff right there. Yeah, right, right, but the right. reality is my life showed up, mm-hmm. and I had to deal with it because it was definitely dealing with me. And then I said to my life, I wish you would try to take me out of here. I'm from West Baltimore. You can't get me out of here that easy. Right. So I started boxing with my life, and when I started boxing and running and doing whatever I needed to do to just deal with my life, that stuff got lighter and it got funny. And I said to my sister one day, I said, you know what? Remember when I said X, Y, and Z? Girl, you ain't ever lied. I'm all right, girl. You know, I'm all right. I'm going to be just fine. And then, and then, at the same time, I had to start thanking God for what was happening because I could not write fast enough. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's funny. And I would just write it down or I would speak it into my phone. And so I stopped taking myself so seriously, Kenny. And then I knew that this happened to give me permission to speak. I've heard I've heard Bishop Jake say that, that some things, you know, give us permission to speak. So now I can talk about some grown woman stuff mm-hmm. that I couldn't talk about before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and with my gifting, I can make it funny. Right. And then when I make it funny, then I'm helping somebody else who may be going through the same exact thing or a nuance of it and help them laugh. Richard Pryor, when he talked about who is this run down the street, who is this? And he lit a match. Yeah. And he and he threw it across. The, he said, "That's Richard Pryor running down the street." After he blew himself up, you can't tell me that some other person struggling struggling with the addiction, uh, the, the 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 disease of addiction, couldn't find some levity in that. Right. Couldn't find some some redemption in that. And so, for every woman whose heart ever has ever been broken, for every girl who's ever been saddened by the, by, by the absence of that father figure, every woman who's ever had a man make a, make a promise and break it to the point where they broke their heart. Listen, I can tell you some stuff that's going to make you roll over and laugh and fall out mm-hmm. so that you can feel like you're not alone. Mm-hmm. One of my newest lines when um, I come on stage is I, I thank everybody in that space for getting me out the house. And they said, what you mean? I said, because I live with a narcissist and three assassins. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, that's my husband and three kids. <laughs> right. And I said, you ever live with somebody that's trying to kill you? These people love me to death. You understand me? Mm-hmm. They're trying to take me out. And so I never had that tone in my stand-up. It was more about, it was more of a huxable experience. Right. Which is fine. But now since life is showing up and I'm on some grown woman, mm-hmm. as you know, I have a title I'm not going to share it with y'all because somebody steal my stuff. <laughs> but I, I'm letting you know for sure we have been redesigned and redefined. And it's a beautiful thing. So, yes, humor is a panacea for pain. Yeah. And you've got to allow yourself to experience that panacea. It's nothing like it. Wow. So i got one last uh, question for you. Okay. I've posed this question to all the folks that I've interviewed, uh, um, and I've gotten some extremely yeah. powerful um, answers. And once we're done with one this that series, I'm actually going to take yeah. something that and something with each of these answers because they are illuminating, and I know that you are going to give me something illuminating as well. If God gave you the power right now to eliminate one issue for our girls, what would it be and why? Colorism. The elimination of colorism. What is colorism? Bill Duke has done an entire film around it, Dark Girl. 
I would love to eliminate the notion that the color of our girls' skins determines their beauty and their worth. And as a step further, right there with colorism, is the notion of anybody having good or bad hair. These aesthetic issues have disrupted our communities and have impacted our girls in ways far beyond explanation. So if I had the ability to eradicate one ill, one issue, it would be the eradication of colorism, light skin, dark skin, white is right, black get back, Mm -hmm. and good hair, bad hair. Because the nuances that come with those two key miseducation issues have been plaguing our women and our people since slavery and still have a prolific effect on our girls to this day. Right. Thank you so much um, for joining us on the show. Tell people how they can contact you. Well, thank you, Kenny. And I first want to just thank you for all that you're doing as um, a father, as a man, as a lover of girls, a lover of women, um, a lover of mothers and daughters. Um, We're very clear what you do for boys and fathers. But I just want the world to know that I've known for some time how your heart yearns to make an impact nationally with our girls, and so I'm grateful for this. Um, to get in touch with me is very simple. I'm very simple. Um, it's michelle.net. That's www.michelle.net. You can also find me on Twitter at Michelle Comedy. You can find me on Facebook, Comedian Michelle. You can also find me on Instagram, <clears throat> Indie Mom of Comedy. And um, you can just put my name, Michelle, in. It'll pop right up, M-E-S-H-E-L-L-E. So I try to keep it all simple. And if those of you who want to get in touch with me directly, just email me, Michelle at Michelle.net, M-E-S-H-E-L-L-E at Michelle.net. Thank you so much, Kenny. would love to see you soon. And all of you guys can tune in and see me on a number of shows right now. But if you email me or Instagram me or follow me on Twitter, we'll keep you abreast. And thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of dialogue about daughters. I feel very privileged that Fathers Incorporated has created this thrust. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much, and God bless you in everything that you do, and you know that we are just a, uh, I am just a text, email, phone call away to support any and everything that you're doing. And so, um, I've always been proud of you, and I've been proud not only of you in your presence, but I've been proud of your journey and how you have handled your journey and how you continue to rise above your journey while living in your journey. I think that is a very special um, attribute for any person um, to have, but particularly um, a mother of of, of children and a husband and someone who is doing all of the work that you're doing and has a heart as big as yours. So I commend you and leave you with all of God's blessing. I know that he's not done with you yet, and I am so excited to see what he has got in store for you. Um, it, watching you is like, watching your life is like watching a television show or drama series. Empire ain't got nothing on you. You are the real <laughs> empire. So. <laughs> 
Thank you, Kenny. All right. You listening to the Black Bar. I'm your host, Kenny Braswell. Uh, you are in the midst of our Dialogue About Daughters series. It is a part of our National Save Our Daughters Night campaign, which takes place on May 8th. For more information on the campaign, go to SaveOurDaughtersNight.com. Be blessed. You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King, until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.